Around four, the clouds cleared. We were able to see the full moon across the valley. I was part of something bigger. I was part of a movie. Next morning, we wake up to the sight of perfect swells coming off the point. And from then on, I said, I will always buy the last round of drinks. At Patagonia, we are climbers and skiers. We are surfers and anglers. We are activists and dreamers. Stories of the fabric of our shared culture, and we're proud to sponsor the Dirtbag Diaries. Visit us at Patagonia.com. When I was a child, my backyard was one great wilderness, and it wasn't really. There was a road a half a mile behind our house. This is Brian Moore, and that childlike wonder he's describing is something that a lot of us can relate to. I have such clear memories and recollections of being six, seven, eight years old and pushing beyond the stone wall that defined our property line into what felt like this endless, wild world. The natural playgrounds in the backyard hills where Brian and his wife Emily Johnson fell in love with the outdoors and skiing. Well, now they've expanded to distant wilds and massive mountain ranges. So we've been down to Patagonia a few times, up to the Arctic, to Greenland, to Iceland, all over. Along the way, they've also managed to do an incredible amount of skiing. We love sort of multi-sport adventures, so we're sometimes using horses, sometimes using sailboats, sometimes using canoes. Um, we get to these places, we don't often have an exact plan in mind, but we... We never have an exact plan. We never have an exact plan in mind. Our objectives are not like a peak or a certain amount of vertical or, or you know, distance. our first ascent or any kind of distance. It's usually just to, to be in a place, to soak it up, to climb the mountains, to meet the people, to... I think our greatest objective is to have fun. Think of it as holistic adventure. They've seen incredible places, created lasting relationships across the world, and immersed themselves in the conservation of wild places. If, you, if you're out having fun somewhere in a beautiful place, you're probably going to be motivated to help protect that sort of place. So that's a big part of our work. We're sort of driven to help protect those, those blank spots on the map before they get gobbled up. Whether it took the form of spinning bike tires or skis moving across softening mountain snow, there was magic and mystery in the movement. Brian and Emily followed curiosity. They took photos, wrote articles, and returned home with stories they hoped would help preserve the places they loved. Their passions became a career, their career a life calling, that led them into some of the world's most wild locales. Along the way, their wandering led them to an important realization. It's amazing how when you put yourself in the mindset of just exploration and adventure, it doesn't matter if you're right out your back door or way off in the southern Andes. The, the effect is very, very similar. Adventure comes from within. Ultimately, it's a product of imagination and curiosity. Then, Emily and Brian collided with a tangle of head-jarring questions. If adventure is the reflection of the human spirit, do we really need to travel half a world away to find it in distant ranges, wild rivers, and unpaved roads? And if the very act of traveling harms the places you hold dear, is going justifiable? In some ways, we have this incredible urge to just stay home and just to focus our lives around our community, around our home, here in the Northeast, here in Vermont. But then we get these urges, these undeniable urges to go and to explore places that we feel like no one else is going to explore. 
at least in the way we're exploring them. Today we give you the adventurous parable. Stories and photos by Emily Johnson and Brian Moore. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. southern edge of South America, storms pull moisture from the Pacific Ocean before crashing against the upswelling of granite peaks. The storms unleash legendary winds and massive blizzards, and in the high country the snow gathers, melts, refreezes, and eventually becomes the frozen landscape of the Patagonian ice cap. The process must repeat. The water must return to the ocean. Pulled by gravity, the ice creeps back towards the lowlands where the summer heat beats in waves. Meltwater churns in streams, streams become rivers, and on the ice cap's northern edge, those rivers braid together to form a surging artery, the Baker River. It's got startling blue waters colored by glacial till, and its natural power is on constant display as it churns for 170 kilometers through the southern Andes. In 2000, Brian and Emily embarked on a three-month tour of Uruguay and Paraguay, not really close to there. But as they arrived in Buenos Aires, they realized that they had misjudged the heat. On a whim, they decided they would head for the mountains and cooler temps to a town called Puerto Patrón in Chile. There, there was no real itinerary at all for our first bike trip, but um, that was sort of one area that we knew we wanted to make it to because we had a friend and we had heard from him just how amazing that area was. After nearly three months of biking through the southern Andes, they crested the most rugged mountain pass of the trip and stared out into a narrow valley of snow-capped peaks, high tumbling glaciers, and a brilliant blue ribbon of water dividing it all, the Rio Baker. And it was definitely the most, at that time, it was the most remote and beautiful piece of earth we had ever laid eyes on. It was a moment that would influence their lives. The northern edge, we came into the Weir Baker watershed on a very remote country road, and for the first time we saw the Baker River. <laughs> I'm like choking up. Whew. It was amazing. It's kind of crazy. I can't believe I'm like freaking out. <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> wow. We were touched. <laughs> It was the perfect close to the trip. Their friend Jonathan, who had been living and working in Bertrand, introduced them to the community. They were celebrating Emily's 24th birthday with a chocolate cake complete with a fudge bicycle, crafted by their new friend, Anita. She made me an amazing birthday cake with a, a beautiful chocolate bicycle sort of mounted on top of the whole thing, and it was just an amazing end to our trip south by bicycle and a great way to celebrate my, my 24th birthday, I think it might have been one of my first birthdays celebrated abroad, and it was just wonderful to be with these warm people. And we were surrounded by unskied mountains and 1,000 to 2,000 meter vertical lines spilling off the ice sheet and the peaks around there, huge lines. Um, 
but also valleys that held snow well into springtime as the flowers were blooming and the rivers were raging. We've got to get back here somehow is what we felt after um, arriving with, with there. With our just... skis. Years passed. The couple moved back east to Vermont from Colorado, but the Rio Baker remained in their hearts and in their minds. So in 2004, they returned with an assignment from Backcountry Magazine, a few friends, and a pickup truck. Adventure ensued. But to ski out in the open ocean of a glacier. Wind, horizontal rain, and out of nowhere this little hummingbird is, is flying around. It was just amazing. It was actually sleeting and driving horizontal ice, but we were totally exhilarated. The air, there's not only the rumbling, tumbling, roaring of the Sirox falling, Every stream, every river is just raging. They had a really and, warm uh, fire. They had fresh sopapillas. They had hot coffee. And Hector, who's a local guy, who we were helping him take his horses down, he looked at us and smiled and said, it's beautiful, isn't it? This is the real Patagonia. They skied 1,000-meter couloirs, climbed the massive volcanoes, and ventured onto the edges of the ice cap. They slept next to churning rivers and lived off of empanadas. As they made their way across northern Patagonia, it was clear that their story, it wasn't just about skiing. Snow is similar wherever you go. Um, so it's not just about the skiing, but it's about the story, it's about the people, it's about the history, it's about the place. So we go in there sort of with, the, with wanting to get more of the story than the skiing. force, that power, that defines the baker, it's also what threatens to destroy it. Chile, like the rest of the world, it's growing. They have energy needs. They're increasing. And at the moment, there's no clear solution. Oil, although dramatically less expensive than last summer, is still not cheap. Natural gas shipments from Argentina are spotty, and the infrastructure for renewables limited. There's a powerful energy demand with limited supply, so Spanish-Italian energy giant Endesa had a plan to meet the country's needs. Dam the Rio Baker. Not just one dam, but four dams. Flood the valleys, fertile farmland, forests, and small communities that lined the river, and then clear-cut a swath of power lines through several national parks to the cities up north. It would be energy for progress's sake. Brian and Emily moved up and down the region. They began to hear about this plan. Intrigued, they asked locals about the proposed dams, asked about the impacts. When they crossed a farmer's land to ski the adjacent peaks, they'd stop and talk. It was really shocking to, um, to connect with people in Cochrane who were scared beyond all imagination for their future because of the dams and what it would bring to the region. There were others who were so excited because they were going to make a killing on their, con their construction contracts and so on. So it was a very interesting dynamic. They listened respectfully to the different viewpoints, but ultimately their hearts were on the side of preservation. Chile needs power. It doesn't have enough of its own energy. It's importing huge amounts of fossil fuels uh, from across its borders. But does that mean it needs to build huge destructive dams to, to generate that power. And dams that are many thousand, or at least a thousand miles away from the population centers that are demanding the energy. So not only hydropower can be a solution, but why not do it on a much more local level? 
Emily and Brian saw their photos and their stories as a way to contribute to the growing opposition. They saw that they had a way to help amplify the voices of the farmers who inhabited the small valleys. Ecotourism was blossoming in the Asan region. Fishing lodges were spouting up, trekking trails were being built. Emily and Brian, they too knew a thing about recreating. They could help. How lame would it be in 30 years for us to be walking around our towns and reading the newspapers with headlines that say there are no more wild places left on earth. Too bad. We can do a lot better than that. We, can, we have a chance right now to save some of the most incredible places left on the planet. Any movement, it's made of a thousand parts. There are lobbyists with blackberries buzzing away, wheeling and dealing in the halls of D.C. and Santiago. There are grassroots organizers making posters with magic markers. Individuals who further causes with energy and money. The growing struggle to fight in this dam project was no different. The Asan region has had its share of foreign benefactors, prominently spearheaded by Doug and Kristen Tompkins and Conservation Patagonica. Organizations like International Rivers and the NRDC established campaigns. Brian and Emily understood that their story, their connection to the land as skiers and their friendships with the locals were part of this puzzle. Back home in the States, they began a speaking tour. They won grants, organized media exposure, and went back in 2006 to focus, ski, and report entirely within the Rio Baker watershed. And it wasn't just in places like the Rio Baker. They went beyond. They coordinated with organizations working to protect lands in places like Greenland and Central America. They used their creative strain of adventure to attract attention and foster ecotourism. Emily and Brian were doing their part in the ongoing struggle to protect wild places. If a movement has a thousand parts, each with a complex relationship, then a problem has a million complex interactions. Chile doesn't have a monopoly on the struggle between conservation and energy development. The Baker River debate, it's pretty much analogous to the battle for the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And stars the same cast of big energy, conservationists, and locals torn between traditional ways of living and economic hope. Even though Brian and Emily had developed the ability and know-how to organize trips around the world, there was this gnawing question. Should they? Just because you become part of the solution, does that mean your actions no longer equate in the problem? There's certainly a paradox, you know, in the environmental message that, in the sort of our environmental ethics is something that we do struggle with and we do think about and, and uh, thinking about other ways of traveling and adventure. You know, is it worth going the distance to the Arctic and the Andes to do what we do? You know, it's not, we don't have the answer. We don't know for sure. All I can say is that we're feeling that, that challenge. We're feeling that struggle, that debate inside us. And we're definitely increasingly interested in making the most of our, our local, you know, making the most of local adventure and, and exploring the possibility for, for adventure out the back door. If you were to walk sort of straight from our back door, I think it would be about six miles before you intersected a road, yeah. although it's not a wilderness area or anything. It's just a, you know, an area that doesn't so, have a lot of development on it. 
Their home outside of Moortown, Vermont, in Mad River Valley, has become a new base camp of sorts, albeit a very comfortable base camp. As we talk on the phone, it's snowing. They're weighing their options. Have dinner, or do another lap on the 500-foot hill behind their home. Every time we go out our back door, it feels bigger and bigger and bigger because we're seeing more and more and more because we're spending time there and we're identifying places and we're making connections from one little nook in the forest to another little ski line over that side of that thickly forested pass that we have to bushwhack through, but then it opens up into a beautiful open hardwood glade that when the snowpack gets above two feet deep is outrageously good powder skiing. Talking with Brian and Emily you begin to get the sense that adventure has become a form of self-expression, almost a representation of their thinking process. It's a train of thought that has brought them back to that childlike awe of small, innate wonders. Or wildness itself, as we define it, comes in all shapes and sizes. You know, it can be just the tiny little creek in the canyon between two developed ridgelines that still runs clear and clean and has a mix of birds and plants and salamanders. And on a micro scale, that little creek between two developed ridgelines can be a very wild and beautiful place. They noticed that if they paid attention, looked for adventure amongst Vermont's hardwood glades and fields, that opportunity awaited. It was just a matter of patience. Every year in Vermont, we get a January thaw, which is a string of weather, usually just a day or two or three or sometimes four days of warm, unseasonably warm winter weather. Last year, the January thaw was particularly intense, and it almost, I think we hit 60 degrees after an incredibly snowy December. We lost half of our snowpack in less than two days, and it never really got that cold again, so the river remained open throughout last winter. and as time went by and the snow continued falling and the river valleys were covered in snow and had a good deep snowpack, we started spotting, basically spotting lines along the river valley that were really tempting to ski. But they're hard to get to. Private property blocked access, or in some cases the approach was simply too big. It was a stretch of river that they kayaked and canoed on a weekly basis in the summer heat. Why not brave the temporarily mellow rapids? paddle right to the base of them, get out of your boat, ski up, ski down, get back in your boat and go on to another one. Up and up and up we went and we got to the top of the valley and looked around and we felt like we could be anywhere in the world just off on some fun adventure. It sort of left the thought of just being home a few hours ago, left our minds altogether. It was a new place for us, a different kind of adventure, yet we were just a mile or two from our house. It became a regular winter occurrence that year. They simply spot a line, pull to the bank, tie up the canoe, and follow general ridgelines to the Green Mountain summits. There were trips to Katahdin, chasing storm swells across the Atlantic and combining bike riding with sunny spring skiing. The old, the standard, it was recycled into something new. So, I mean... In your process, was there a moment? Was there a point where the light bulb went on and all of a sudden you're like, I can find this all at home? I don't know if it was a particular moment. I think it's been more an evolution for me. Just 
you know, over time, I, I like being home as much as I like to travel. I, I, we have a big garden in the summertime, and there's a lot of things that, you know, are really nice about being home, about the community of friends that we have here, and so on. So I think, you know, there was a time when, when this just felt like kind of a staging area for for all of our trips, and we would be back kind of working manically either on the house or getting logistics ready for a trip. And, you know, now I think and kind of just taking the time to soak up the place that we live in and not just having our adventures be elsewhere. Adventure became a day-to-day existence instead of something that required fundraising and months of planning. So there's a side of me that has a hard time believing this but I mean really do the do those whole do those hills around your home how I mean come on how could they be as wild as Patagonia well I think it's human nature to want to explore and to want to um, challenge ourselves and sometimes it's easier to let go of the comforts we have around home and force ourselves to explore and commit to the elements when there isn't that temptation to just stay at a friend's house or go back to the trailhead or go home. And I think and, it's also a mindset too. I mean, it really, for for a lot of people, just thinking about the green mountains, they aren't going to think that that is the most, uh, you know, the, the most adventurous spot, like right along the Mad River on some, you know, 200 vertical foot elevation gain hill. So you kind of have to get your mind around the idea that even a small hill, even a calm river can be the source of a of a great adventure. What is an adventure is as much in the mind of the adventurer as anything. I think when people are thinking about their close to home spots, uh, people have been there. It's been done. That's the mentality generally, and the media is full of all these exotic, exotic, far off places that. People feel like they need to explore in order to be considered adventuresome. It makes sense, right? By traveling, we use resources. Feed to the global energy crush that provides the economic incentive for the Asan Hydro Project or the proposed drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Each plane trip, each car ride, adds to that demand. Each photo or story relayed, each guidebook sold, builds the amount of traffic to the distant stretches of our world. Staying put? Is it better? I mean, living simply, being content with the immediate world around us, not wondering if the grass is greener, these are worthy ideals. But it also overlooks one important truth, one that Brian and Emily have had a hard time ignoring, one that gets to the root of the paradox we've been discussing. The corporation that would like to dam the Rio Baker and develop Patagonia for its hydroelectric potential is moving forward. They are starting to build dams. They are starting to line up permits to clear-cut a 1,200-mile power line through the heart of Patagonia. And it doesn't mean their actions right now do not guarantee that they're going to continue. Andesa has morphed into another corporate being, Anel. But with the same designs on the Asan region, permits are on the move, money is changing hands, the 1,200-mile-long clear-cut is still on the table. Those photos of steep couloirs, the traveler's stories of friendship, warm fire after cold days, and chocolate cake, that deep connection to the people and places, put them all together, it's not going to prevent the damming of Hassan. But seen from a distance, personal relationships with the land are part of the greater preservation movement. 
In this day and age of carbon footprints and economic downturns, it can be tempting to be handcuffed by ideals and global paradox. Conservation requires people going out to the wild places and coming back with something to say. John Muir had the mighty Sierra, Ed Abbey his deserts, Bruce Chatwin had Patagonia. We still need climbers, hikers, wanderers, and skiers to follow their passions towards conservation. Each wild place needs a champion. That requires curiosity, and it requires travel. There is an amazing wealth of knowledge in the world that needs to be, that we feel drawn to, and that we want to bring back here to our lives and to our communities here in the States. In some ways, you know, in, in our message and our talking about these areas and protecting them, people feel inspired to want to visit them and go there. Passion for preservation of wild places. It comes from a personal connection to the wilds, to those rivers that course from the highest points, whether it be the Mad River working its way through the eroded green mountains, or the Rio Baker slicing through Patagonia's granite turrets. They call us, they sort of lure us back and force us to, to get back into these, these places. The conservation, you know, work that we're doing is definitely, definitely, I think we're just, you know, scratching the surface at this point. And over time, we'd like to play a much larger role in protecting these amazing places we still have. I think we're driven to continue traveling for the sake of bringing information and knowledge back to our own communities and bringing it inspiration into our own lives in hopes that that'll rub off on others. haven't already, go to our site, dirtbagdiaries.com, to check out the photo-enhanced version of today's episode. Brian and Emily, while they are spending more time at home enjoying the pleasures of an unusually good northeast snow year, they aren't done traveling yet. They're still going to be searching out wild places to explore and protect. You can check out what they're up to online at emberphoto.com. Berkeley-based group International Rivers is leading the way on the battle to fend off the dams. You can get involved in the campaign by visiting internationalrivers.org. I just got back from the site, where I also just wrote a letter to Inel, asking them to refrain from building the dams. If this story spoke to you, or you have another wild place that speaks to you, please consider taking a few moments to participate. For more links and some background stories, you can also visit our site. Music today by Ultra, Gentleman Reg, Marching Band, The Books, and Blind Pilot. Blind Pilot, they're a Portland-based band who last summer launched a tour across the West Coast done entirely by bike. They're not only in extremely good shape, but they can also play. So, I know I've said the word Patagonia about four dozen times today. I've got to say it one last time. Thanks to the good people at Patagonia for supporting independent, free-thinking voices. Check out their environmental initiatives that impact areas discussed in today's program at patagonia.com. Crap, I just said it again. You know, that word, Patagonia. Ah, there it is again. I swear they are not supporting me by the word. I'm Fitzgerald Hall, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. <laughs>